0: Welcome into this week's edition of the Sun Devil Source Report podcast. Yes, your ears are not deceiving you. This is SunDevilSource.com publisher Chris Cartman. I know that normally you'd be hearing the voice of Kerry Crowley right now welcoming you, but Kerry has moved on to a new beat. He's covering the San Francisco Giants for KNBR. And we're really happy that he's back in his hometown working for a station he grew up listening to. Of course, this means that Carrie will no longer be hosting the podcast, and we'll miss him. But let me assure you, we'll still have the same type of detail-oriented show for you on a regular basis now that Arizona State's preseason camp is underway, and we're back from a summer hiatus. We're already in full swing on SunDevilSource.com, so make sure you check out all of our extensive camp coverage on the website, and we're really excited to be back with you and ready to get this thing going. Joining me on our podcast this week is Kevin Stewart, our longtime recruiting analyst in my right hand for the last 13 years. We've also very excited to welcome in Kalen Jones to our team and on the podcast for the first time. You may be familiar with Kalen's work from House of Sparky, and he's someone I'm really excited to now have with our team. We're taping this from the Super 8 recording studio in the same room we've had for the last five years here in Payson since Todd Graham took over the program and the Sun Devils returned to Camp Zona. We've been here all week watching the first four ASU practices in full and are recording ahead of the team Saturday scrimmage, which I'm sure a number of you will be making the trip up the hill for. Hopefully when you're doing so, you're listening to this podcast. So Kalen, thanks a lot for being with us. Hey, Chris. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. So what do you think? I mean, this is your first time up at Camp Tonazona. You've been covering the team for a couple of years, but now you're getting a sense of what what, uh, the culture is all about up here. Do you have any initial things that sort of jump out at you? Uh,
1: Definitely the setting. Like we've talked about it before, Chris, like just the fact that you take a football field and place it in the middle of a mountain and replace the bleachers with a bunch of trees and foliage. I think that's really neat. And just the opportunity for fans to be there and, you know, one-on-one time with uh, players, you know, interacting with each other. I think it's really neat.
0: Yeah. Maybe uh, before we finish, we'll send you up Mount Kush (laughs) as sort of a, Indoctrination to our reporting culture. Uh, (laughs) Kevin, what do you think? um, You're kind of a grizzled veteran at this point, obviously, but what jumps out at you about this year specifically? uh, Could be atmosphere around the program or differences that we're seeing from the past?
2: I think the biggest thing that would jump out to me would be like the dichotomy between where the offense is and where the defense is, and where we thought, you know, a couple years into the grand program, where they'd be now. The offensive talent is. A lot stronger than the defense across the board you know the defense front seven doesn't look as bad as some people might think it would have at this point but the back end is very unsettled and you know a lot of question marks there
0: Right. well maybe that's a great place to just start in and drill down on some of the topics that everyone wants to hear about of course in this asu secondary Uh, There's been departures. Kareem Orr prematurely transferred out of the program. Armand Perry decided to retire due to medical issues that he's facing. Those were the anticipated top two returning players in the secondary, along with Marcus Ball, of course. Um, Marcus Ball's had some medical issues that have kept him off the field here and there, but in the second half of last season, he was the team's leading tackler and, and one of the best players. But he's been with the second team primarily up here. Um, There's a a whole bunch of uh, new names. It seems like um, there's as many guys that are new in the secondary this year as you have typically uh, in a defense entirely. Um, You have junior college players, Kobe Williams, Darian Cornet, DeMonte King, all junior college additions. And then you have high schoolers, Langston Frederick, Alex Perry, Ty Thomas, Evan Fields, and K.J. Jarrell. And certainly ASU has been forced to really throw these guys to the wolves, Um, some first and second team reps. What do you think about what we're seeing so far from these guys, Kalen? Of course, you have Kobe Williams getting some first-team reps. Uh, they've had some movement in the secondary with with already switching some guys from corner to safety and 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 all of that. Um, um, what do you think about just kind of the way this thing shapes up right now?
1: Well, I think it's interesting because I think you've touched on it before, Chris. Like you want experienced members in Todd Graham's system. I think that's something he relies upon in years past, where he has guys who acclimate into you know him having such a deep complex system you know throwing guys around trying to figure everything out with Bill Bennett as the you know the primary DC I guess um, it's definitely going to be interesting to see because you have so much raw talent um, obviously guys we will get more into it later but like you know just the physiques of some of these guys they don't look physically mature enough to you know step into these roles so soon but I mean they're if, if you're an ASU fan I guess your glimmer of hope that you're hoping like would you know end up being the the positive thing to take away here is that it's a new system and that you have a new influx of talent that wasn't there before. So while the experience isn't there, um, you know there, there's a potential that hasn't been unearthed yet with a lot of these guys.
0: Yeah, I think that's a good point. It sort of cuts both ways. Um, since so many of these guys are new, they don't have the experience of the last two years and being – the worst passing defense in the country right. in back-to-back seasons. And and then layered on top of that is you have Phil Bennett and, and the fact that he's new and what he brings to the table. Uh, we've seen Bennett, Kevin, just really aggressive <laughs> with how he's coached these players and trying to get them up to speed. It's a yeoman's task, really, um, with the group that he has to work with, given the experience um, being so little and, and as Kalen said, just the, the physical maturity uh, of the unit additionally not, not being uh, what you would typically see in, in the secondary in the Pac-12.
2: Yeah, Bennett um, really saw him a little in the spring, obviously. Um, but the last couple of days, his stress level has got to be off the charts. Um, he's got a lot of young guys. He, I mean, he's not giving them a lot of rope. He's on them. They mess up right away. We saw yesterday Alex Perry get beat. On in coverage pulled out. KJ Jarrell went in for a spot. He got beat, and Bennett went from chewing out Perry to chewing out Jarrell back-to-back plays. So yeah, and there I mean, if you count spur as a DB, you look at the uh, like the two deep. It's really like eight. Right now we're seeing like eight new guys that mm-hmm. weren't really playing at all, or even in the program last year, or
0: switching to different positions. You right, know. yeah. Marcus like, Rose going from corner to safety to spur.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Well, it seems like almost all the safeties were you know not all of them but a lot of them were recruited as corners and now they're playing safety. You know, you look at Alex Perry and Langston Frederick. They're not very big guys at this point in their careers and now they're coming in projected as cornerbacks and both of them playing safety a lot this week, so it looks like they're probably going to stay there. So right. it's 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 the cornerback position is very unsettled.
0: Well, the, in the spring they only had three scholarship players who were returning and of course one left in Kareem yeah. uh, and and you, what we've seen so far in camp in the last week is maurice chandler has been with a third team and everybody sort of expected maurice chandler would would work with the ones but there was one segment of practice in which after just one play with the third team phil bennett was really unhappy with an alignment issue of maurice chandler and pulled him off the field so that gives you an idea of how he's feeling about the situation um the only other really veterans that they have of course marcus ball we mentioned earlier and then chad adams who uh, seems like he's destined to be the starter at that fieldside safety position. He, of course, has bounced around between the ones, the twos, the threes. He's played corner. He's played bandit. He's played fieldside safety. But they don't have anybody else behind him who really is established. And what they've done is uh, Jeremy Smith tinkered. They tinkered with him playing that position, and then they moved him back to offense because it didn't really uh, fit. And then they decided um, a couple days ago at Camp Tonazona, to move – uh, the two true freshmen Langston Frederick and Alex Perry from corner to safety. Frederick is playing on the, the banded position, the boundary side, Alex Perry's playing the field side. Those guys are working with the twos. As you said, Kevin, they've given up some plays. They're, they're, they're being thrown to the wolves. Uh, Blake Barnett in, in the very last period of practice on Thursday, had a couple throws that really exploited their youth. Um, so we're going to have to just see how this thing develops, but, from an experience standpoint from a physical and mental maturity standpoint they're very young phil bennett's going to have to try to simplify this as much as he possibly can for them and that's what he probably brings to the team right Kalen yeah
1: no I definitely agree I think the intensity on top of that and just the fact that you Kevin mentioned like he's always on his players the reason why is because you know they're gonna have to learn the system they're gonna be thrown to the wolves like immediately as you guys just mentioned but it's definitely fun to see and interesting like just the dynamic itself
0: yeah we're gonna break all this down a lot more detail in our premium podcast which will follow this one um some of that will include the fact that Jamarcus Rhodes has made a a big push in transitioning from corner to safety to now spur, replacing Liam Mochi. It seems like he's uh, as likely as anybody, including Marcus Ball, to play at that position. he He's physically changed his body somewhat. and then uh, Ty Graham had some uh, unprompted praise for what he saw from Tyler Wiley in practice here on Thursday also. so we're we're going to get into that and all these newcomers. but um of course we we, Uh, maybe buried the lead a little bit not talking about the quarterback position right out of the gate because if the secondary isn't the most important thing to watch with this team, it's got to be quarterback, right Kevin?
2: Yeah, I mean it's, for a couple years now, it's been the hot topic still very unsettled Um, you know, Wilkins I think it looks better, Uh, we've talked a little you know, about mechanics and whatnot. you know, he's improved but the, the results really in practice haven't been that great and, and Barnett seems a little behind maybe in the system. Yeah, hasn't really asserted himself as much as he fans would hope. The coaches probably would have wanted at this point. And you got Brady White lurking. Yeah,
0: and and Brady White probably won't be able to be cleared by doctors until some point after the season's already started. And so that we'll have to see if that has any impact on what happens at quarterback. I don't imagine he'll play unless – Uh, there's some softness of production uh, from one of those other two guys. Uh, Caitlin, Todd Graham has said, basically, look, uh, Manny Wilkins is a a returning starter. Mm -hmm. He's going to have to be beaten out by Blake Barnett or whoever, if that's going to happen. What have we seen, to your eye, from how much these guys have, have played with the first team, the second team, the delineation of reps, and any indication as to uh, how the coaches uh, feel about this that diverges from what they've said publicly?
1: Well, as you just noted, Chris, like before the coaches have come out and said, like, this is Manny Wilkins' job until it's taken away from him. And they won't say that he's the number one starting quarterback, but it pretty much insinuates that. So um, just looking at the way that they distribute. Uh, the reps between the quarterbacks up until this point, uh, most of the team drills, it's been Manny Wilkins who's had, you know, the line share of those starting reps up until recently. Um, Blake Barnett has taken some seven on seven, even some other team drill reps with the first team, but they're split and he's taking more of the back end. It's always Manny Wilkins who's up there first. And, you know, I, I don't want to get too into it, I guess, but when you talk about who has command and who has the poise and whose team, it really feels like it feels like it's Manny Seam. He just seems like he has a different presence about himself and like you, you wrote about the other day, Chris, like the players are really responding to him and he's taking it, the initiative to go out of his way to kind of coach up and make sure that everyone is in sync with the offense. I think this is really his team until it's taken away from him. And there's no indication just from what the coaches have done that says anything, anything different.
0: Yeah, I think if, if you're up here and you're watching it on a daily basis, it's obvious that Manny Wilkins is, is going that extra step from a leadership standpoint this year and in, in talking with players, uh, trying to build that leadership uh, to another level, and of course, he has an advantage over Blake Barnett because a lot of these guys he's known now for three years, right. uh, which which you really can't replicate with somebody Correct. who's just just joined your program yep. at the beginning of this year. Uh, now, of course, Todd Graham has said Dylan Sterling Cole they'd like to be able to utilize the redshirt this year on him because it was burned last year due to having three injured quarterbacks. As we said, Brady White is um, is still still recovering from this Liz Frank injury that he had. That was a very serious. Uh, A foot injury suffered in his lone start last year against UCLA, which was a win. Um, we don't know when he's going to be, be returning, but he has taken seven on seven reps and look pretty good up here, yeah. especially for somebody who, who has had such a serious injury and missed uh, a lot of this time uh, from a rehab standpoint, he's been doing all the team running um, and then Ryan Kelly, who's a four-star recruit coming out of high school locally here. Um, he's obviously headed for a red shirt year as well, unless something catastrophically happens uh, with their group, right? For a second year in a row. And, that, and that's very unlikely. Now, Why don't we just kind of move along and go through some of these other positions really, really quickly? Uh, I think all three of us would agree, pretty much everybody up here watching would agree that the offense is much further along than the defense and probably Mm -hmm. projects to be better than last year overall when you look at it from a talent standpoint, right? So running running back position, Kalen, you just wrote something really good on SunDevilSource.com about how the coaches feel about their talent and overall depth at that running back position.
1: Well, when you look at, obviously, Keon Balaj and Damara Richards, who are all conference potential performers, uh, the fact that they have Nick Ralston, who's been shelved for most of, you know, the, the fall camp, um, they still have Traylon Smith and Eno Benjamin, who have been outstanding when they've gotten their opportunities. Um, I know that, you know, there's a lineage, I guess, so to speak, with Arizona State running backs in recent years about them being, you know, all conference performers. And when you look at Eno specifically, just the way that he's able to rattle off, big plays and just the type of, um, I guess, poise that he has, too. He has a really good presence for being a true freshman. But between those two guys, between Traylon and Eno, there's definitely serviceable um, backups, I guess, so to speak, at this point.
0: Sort of my comparison was looking back at at one of the best ASU running back uh, units that we've ever seen in in the last couple decades was that Rose Bowl season in 96. Um, You had as a third option was J.R. Redmond. And then even Marlon Farlow was a very capable player who was fourth on the depth chart. <laughs> yeah. Todd Graham said this week that, um, like, you know, Benjamin's playing. He basically left no yeah. room for doubt that, that that's going to happen this year. And this is the top rated recruit that ASU signed at that position um, this this century, really, since the the uh, the beginning of scouting services like scout.com. Um, how does this group compare in your mind kevin to things that you've seen units in the past is it overhyped do you think that um that uh the depth is as good as what these coaches believe that it is is, is, the, is the star talent at the top where you have guys like caleb Balage getting dark horse heisman consideration demario richard who had a down year last year because of injuries and maybe offensive line inefficiency uh, after a thousand-yard rushing season as a sophomore, what, just what's your sense of this running back group, especially in context
2: of history of ASU as as we've now been watching this for more than a couple decades? There's there's a lot of similarities to '96. I I don't think Benjamin is the type of player that Redmond was, or different styles of player. But you could say Belage is the Terry Battle type, the big play, open field runner. Uh, Richard, Michael Martin type, maybe a little different, but similar. Yeah. The big thing with Richard and Bellage, to me, excuse me, um, they're both very versatile. They can split them out. They're they're better receiver. Well, I think people knew Belage was a good receiver. Richard's a better receiver than people give him credit for a lot of times. So they're going to be used a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, Benjamin's going to play. He's a good. I mean, he's really uh, stuck out to me. Just you know, his patience, the way he runs. I could see him maybe not being the short yardage guy, but having a role there. Mm -hmm. I think he spells Richard more than Balazs. Yeah. Maybe Smith is, if Smith plays, which is a possibility as well, I would say, um, he could be like the Balazs backup, but I think a little overhyped at the top. I don't think either one of them's, you know, going to be an all American or anything like that, but just because they're both there, they're both going to have, have to get touches and numbers. So it's going to be hard for either one of them to have that big of a year, but there's, it's as, you know, top to bottom, it's probably as deep as it's been in 20 years.
0: Yeah. Well, remember Demario Richard um, operated in the slot a couple of years ago. That um, Mike Norvell offense and and they they put they put DJ Foster and Demario Richard on the field. Remember Demario Richard catching balls uh, and having three touchdowns in that Sun Bowl win over Duke uh, comes to my mind. And and that's something we're gonna also really sort of flesh out more in the premium talking about how we've seen these two guys on the field together quite a bit and what that means for the broader offense and let's let's move along and talk about this wide receiver group because um the talent has been building 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 this was almost like a weakness when uh todd graham arrived in tempe uh, certainly right and and now you have um with the addition of Division One transfers, John Humphrey and Ryan Newsome from Oklahoma and Texas, respectively, Kalen, I mean, pardon me, Nikhil Harry, moving from a freshman year to sophomore year, um, one of the best young receivers in the country, we would have to say productivity-wise and in terms of his upside. But there's other guys that are out there as well that have the potential to be really good players. Um, your initial thoughts, Kalen, just watching these guys through the first four days of camp tone is on a practices where we've basically seen everything that um that we could have wanted from from this group
1: there's a lot of depth and when you look at the fact that they're interchanging so many different uh receivers we'll probably talk about that more in, in the premium podcast but the way that they've rotated so many people in and out and not lose i mean granted it's against your own defense and it's at practice but there's no production loss i'm i mean obviously nakil here is superstar john humphrey has potential to be a, a really solid player in the Pac-12 too and Jalen Harvey the way that they utilized him as well as a number of other players like Frank Darby's been pretty impressive when he's yeah. gotten his opportunities so it's a really talented and deep receiver group I think better than people give it credit for
0: right so the starters when they've been healthy and fully practicing have have been Nikhil Harry John Humphrey Correct. and Jalen Harvey these are the three sort of main guys of course Harry's been in and out. Um, he's, you know, dealing with some nagging stuff. They were taping up his left ankle that we saw in, in, in practices. He had a few drops in one practice, so maybe he's not fully immersed. And but then he also has made some some big plays, yeah. uh, some a couple <laughs> touchdowns that were that, that were well thrown balls. Yeah. Um, Harry's uh, Harvey, pardon me, is going to be sort of your grinder, do everything guy that they use as a physical. Uh, uh, weapon and also a short short yardage type of receiver john humphrey can take the top off of defense we know uh, but then beyond beyond those guys you have uh, as you mentioned there frank darby kyle williams has taken a lot of first team reps ryan newsom has taken a lot of first team reps how deep do you think that they go with this group kevin how many players do you think end up being in the rotation uh, is there anybody that you think may end up surprising from a capability standpoint or anything else maybe that jumps out to you with this group
2: um I think they go six seven deep how many they actually use we'll see but the one thing I like about the group is that there's a lot of redundancy you'll I mean there's no replacement for Nikhil Harry but Chapman's does a lot of the same things not to the same degree not as well but he's the same similar type of player had his best day on Thursday yeah he's and he's progressing well he's made every year he looks he's looked a little better even yep. throughout the season he's developed well um You look at Harvey and Darby are kind of similar type of guys. They do similar type of things. They can fill roles. One thing when you get a a receiver group, you want guys that can do different things. You don't want all the same types. And that's something I think ASU has. They have Humphrey and Newsome, deep threats, open field guys, Harry, Chapman, bigger outside receivers. And then you got guys like Harvey and Darby that kind of can do a lot of different things.
0: Right. And they're more physical. And even when... Um, for a couple of practices there. Nikhil Harry and Trell Chapman were sort of on the shelf. Uh, they moved up Curtis Hodges, the big six seven freshman, and they were using him in red yep. zone uh, opportunities. And, and he looked pretty decent on some of those fades that are really hard to guard. Of course, Hodges got hurt. We don't know if that's a shoulder or a collarbone injury, but he had his, his arm in a sling. And so we'll see if what that does to his prospects for playing this year, given that they have a, quite a bit of depth there. Now, the tight end group, th- this is something that was a very important position under Mike Norvell and Todd Graham, the way to, the, to utilize a three back tight end, a lot of two tight end structures. Uh, and then, uh, it was a quite a bit of a difference from that to chip Lindsay and almost to where the tight end was almost overlooked. And we didn't really see a lot of JJ Wilson on the field. For example, mm-hmm. they used him just situationally and maybe wanted to throw the ball to him in the end zone. I think like three of his four c- catches on the season were touchdowns yep. or some, something along those lines. <laughs> yeah. right? Uh, but, right. but, 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 a, a huge difference in how it feels this year in terms of the importance of the tight ends uh, to this group. Uh, we notice that in uh, not just in team settings, but when they do inside run and uh, the way they utilize even some walk-ons as, as guys who could play roles. Um, of course, at the very top you have JJ Wilson and Tommy Hudson. Those seem to be the main guys. Uh, what's jumping out at you about this group? uh Candle just up here watching these guys?
1: Well, I, I think what's jumped out, just not only about the group, but when I, I look at CJ French love, just, I mean, I won't get too deep into it, but he, you and I joked about, like, his arms don't look like he's a tight end. He does not no. look like he has the frame of a tight end, yet he can block really, yeah. really well. Yeah. I mean, for, you know, given his size. A lot so, of that comes
0: down to your mentality. Exactly, and
1: I think that's what it is. Um, forgive me, I'm blanking on the tight end coach's name, but um, just the fact that, you know, there's that greediness all the way down. Not just J And J.J. Wilson, I... I didn't see it last year as much, but he looks a lot tougher in terms of run blocking ability too. Tommy Hudson. I think that's one of what's been his trademark since he's been here and he's tacked on the receiving ability that's coming along as well. So it's a pretty well-rounded group when you really consider, uh, I think that ASU was three or four players deep at one of its key positions. And we'll see whether or not it's, you know, focalized like it was a few years ago.
0: Yeah. Kevin, I noticed like Frank Ogas as a, as a walk-on fullback type that they're using, um, and then they have who, I'm sorry, who was the number 92 or 90? Otero. Yeah. Otero. 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 Yeah. He's he's another guy that they're utilizing. So they're, they're mm -hmm. really, um, trying to figure out what they, what they, what they can do with their personnel here. And, and, um, I think that's going to, Going to uh, show up in their short yard situations, goal line situations, a lot of different uh, uh, combinations that they have.
2: And Christian Hill's not been here yet, and he was a big part of that last oh, year. Sure. Um, Sparky package. Yeah. So um, yeah, the tight end position. You know, if you go through like the verbal, the oral history of it, the last 20 years at ASU. And one point it was tight end U with the West Coast, and under Erickson it w- went away completely. Yeah. Came back. Then Lindsey came in, and it's kind of dialed out again but yeah JJ Wilson's got as much talent as some really in my opinion almost anyone in the program. Mm-hmm. I mean he could be an NFL player. He's got uh, elite blocking potential. It's not always there, but he shows it. Yeah. And he can make plays downfield. He's got good hands, he's got good size. They just got got to find him, get him in consistently used in the offense.
0: I mean, he has to be one of the biggest beneficiaries of the switch from Chip Lindsey to to Billy Napier, right? Um, Offensive line position, they've looked at so many different combinations. It almost makes your head spin if you're not keeping track of it all on a regular basis. And in talking to Rob Sale, who's a first-year coach at that position, he said, look, we're trying to find our best five. Uh, and, and then what they also want to do is they want to understand how they react to any of those five getting injured. And, and that there's a lot of different manifestations of, of combinations that that could actually end up reflecting. Um, my opinion is there, there's a solid three-man guys that are going to always be out there almost no matter what. And then there's some competition for, some, for maybe the fourth and the fifth spot. And then also who the sixth, seventh, and eighth guys are um overall it seems like this is a a a building maturing sort of group that may not be all the way there in 2017 but they're they're headed in that direction kaylin
1: yeah no and they definitely are and when you're able to rotate players in and just the fact that you can you know experiment with players who have had ex- game experience before i think that's what's really helped this group really grow so to speak to this point um when sam jones and i were talking he was explaining that like you mentioned chris they're trying to find the best players possible i think just the fact that the players have a grasp of that of that mindset going in definitely helps them and you know they've looked pretty solid particularly in the running game so far
0: kevin it, you love watching the offensive line that's one of the things that is almost like one of your favorite things i uh, uh, maybe because you fancied yourself as the the potential to be an offensive lineman but <laughs> uh, but uh, but it's so it's so essential Coaches yeah, okay. It, it's, it's, uh, it's so essential to the success of a, a program, and it gets underappreciated or not necessarily maybe even understood to the level that it probably should. Um, wh- what's your sort of initial vibe on this group?
2: There's more talent in the group than maybe the fans and the media have given ASU credit for over the last few years. Mm-hmm. Now they don't have that true left tackle type, but honestly, most schools don't. Right. And um, now Cabral, I think, is a left tackle type, but they don't have – I mean, he's not – he can play over the line. We've seen him move around. Um, the group's got some depth. They probably go six deep really right now, I would say, where there's not a big drop-off. I agree there's, there's a top three echelon. But um, the wild card position is probably center is what they do there. We Center center's probably rotated more than anything this week since I've been up here. Um, maybe I lose lost track. Four or five different guys maybe have played center mm-hmm. this well, week. They've had
0: they've had six snapping in individual periods. Um, of course, after AJ McCollum, we've seen Sam Jones play center. K Cody's taken reps with the first team center. Uh, even though uh, Marshall Nathy has been a center in the past, they've used him more at guard. And then Corey Stevens had a, 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 a an ankle injury. It appeared he's been in a walking boot, but he's someone who snapped the ball. Mm-hmm. Uh, in, in practice settings and maybe even somebody I, i'm missing out cabral on. yesterday oh yeah and cole cabral who who of course played last year because they needed him as a long snapper right uh you know due to the the injury that they had to their to their uh, existing long snapper mitchell for so uh so yeah there's a lot of combinations they i agree they don't have like a guy who's going to be a first round draft pick as an nfl left tackle of course almost nobody does but steve miller kalen i mean he yeah. looked good in left tackle reps, uh, certainly a lot further along than a year ago, uh, when they when they gave him that opportunity with the ones and in, 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 in the indie periods where um, he took on Karan Crump and Malik Law, guys that have speed and handle it.
1: Yeah, and I think that's the biggest thing, particularly in the Pac-12. You know, just historically in, in recent seasons, you're going to get a lot of speed rushers off the end. And if you can have someone that, like Steve Miller who can both go inside and then flex back out at left tackle, I think that gives you a really serviceable piece that you can use. Uh, as that kind of you know, if if he's not in the top five, he's definitely that sixth seventh piece for yeah. sure.
0: Yeah. So we'll delve all the way into what we think about the this offensive line group, evaluate all the players, what we think will be the the starting lineup, and uh, how they reconfigure in the event of any injuries, uh, what could be limitations, uh, and all that kind of stuff, and and um, we'll do that with all the position groups, but. Uh, I think we've kind of covered now the entirety of the offense, and we might as well talk about this front seven defensively before we get out of here. Um, now, what we've seen different this week is they, they for, uh, for a couple days, they decided to move Jojo Wicker from end to a defensive tackle position where he's been playing alongside of Tayshaun Smallwood. Uh, in, in the most recent practice on Thursday, A.J. Latou got hurt, and when that happened... Uh, They decided to move um, Wicker back from tackle to end. A.J. Latu had been repping with the first unit there, backed up by uh, junior college transfer Doug Subtil. Um, The double backers have been Crunk Crump, followed by Malik Lawal. And then the other defensive tackles who are really in the mix are, of course, George Lee and um, the physical ridiculous specimen named Ronell Wren. Um, And then there's other guys that are are also competing for an opportunity to be in the two deep, including two freshmen, Shannon Foreman out of Baton Rouge, Louisiana, jumped up and took one reps when they moved Wicker from back from tackle to end. And then we've seen Shannon, uh, Shannon, I mean, pardon me, DJ Davidson, the local big defensive tackle, 6'4", 320 or so out of Desert Ridge High School in, in Mesa. Um, also taking second team reps or maybe even some some first team reps here and there. Um, uh, Kevin, do we have enough players? Uh, if you're looking at this from Tigram's standpoint, are you looking at this from Michael Slater's standpoint, do, do they feel like, hey, we have we have enough bodies? Are we going to be able to get this done? Are we too shallow? Um, they, they, they've obviously decided to move guys around to figure out, uh, what they're working with and and if they have enough depth there. This is a position group importantly the reason I ask that you need more bodies, more players to rotate in. So
2: what do you think about that? Do they have enough and how good can this group be? I think it's it's a it's probably the deepest group Todd Graham's had since he's been here, but I don't really? know. Okay. I don't know at the top it is. But if well, you I go mean, they, down to the you know, you're looking at the third team and Davidson and Foreman look like guys that can help this year, when there hasn't been too many years where you're looking at third team guys you thought could help. Yeah. So def- now defensive end is a big question mark to me. If it's JoJo Wicker, it's not. But then that op- that opens up some other questions. Right. So if AJ Latou can be the defensive end, we heard Graham talk about how you have to be disciplined there. Got to stay home. You know, I, that's probably why Letu's getting that spot in right now because Soup Till's probably not. At, we know he's not at that level yet. Right. But obviously he's got a lot of potential. I look at the group as more potential than production right now. You know, inside, I like Smallwood. I'm not sure about him over the nose. He hasn't really played that a lot, except for maybe pass rush situations. So you got him and Wicker inside. It's probably a little lighter than they've been in the past uh, up front. But then they got the guys behind them are more stout. So they can rotate and match up. So I think we will see more rotation this year. Yeah. It it may be very much
0: based upon game planning for opponents and how – uh, you know how they want to play. In the past, we've seen ASU go to heavier fronts against certain types of pro-style teams, spread teams. You want to be more athletic and rangy. Um, but interestingly, we we have uh, to your point, Kevin, about the the freshmen, um, not just in DJ Davidson and Shannon Foreman, but coaches have also said they really like Tyler Johnson and yeah. uh, been effusively positive about about this group and and even the possibility for two or three of those guys to end up playing immediately and, and helping out right away Kalen do you think that's possible like what do you think that that these freshmen um or maybe even Doug Subtil as a newcomer are, are they going to be able to get it done enough to take some of the pressure off of other guys in terms of how many reps snaps are going to have to play how tired this team is in the fourth quarter
1: I, I don't think that they'll break through necessarily I think you'd have to have an injury situation like you had the other day with Lotso where you you're kind of force the play of these guys. Um as far as them coming along, I think Foreman like in Davidson from you know what I've seen, what you guys have also added, um, like they're impressive for what they were expected to be. Yeah. I don't think anyone really expected DJ Davidson to be as athletic as he is mm-hmm. at being at his size. And I think that also helps out, you know, the interior, like you mentioned, when you're playing against teams that, you know, you, you want to have your front against, you're able to play him potentially. But I, I think when you look at the guys that they have ahead of them, though George Lee, Renell Wren, you're still waiting to see what they can provide. Really, when you really think about it, because Lee obviously point. he got yeah. his reps last year, and same with Wren, but you know they weren't sufficient enough. And really, I mean Lee was a freshman. I mean Wren's still coming along physically and just as a mature player. So I, I think ASU is still looking to see what they have there before they get to the next level. But they're, they're solid
0: i think that's a very good point and the, the reality is if Renell Wren and george lee are doing what they should be doing right. and everyone is staying healthy in this group they should be able to bring along others more slowly um right, right? so uh, and and maybe not against certain teams where you want to go with a heavier guy up uh, over the football and, and things of that nature if you want to bring in dj davidson situationally because you're playing against stanford or whatever the case may be <laughs> i i understand that yeah. but um but 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 Let's let's face it. George Lee started out with the ones. Yeah. They've long said, sort of um, behind the scenes, that they thought he had even more potential than a Tayshawn Smallwood because he's a bigger kid who has a similar foot quickness and, and, and things of that nature. Um, and we know, and we're going to talk a lot more about this, but um, there's just no way that Renell Wren shouldn't be an absolute you know, yeah. m- machine yeah. in this league. Um, so uh, then, then of course. Um, Malik Lawal and Karon Crump—they're sort of now um, embracing the fact that that um, the replacement for Crump could be Malik Lawal. They're, they're similar types of players. After that, uh, you know, you have Tyler Johnson who could play as a bigger devil. Um, you have Lauren Mondi who's probably going to be a redshirt there. Uh, they're going to need to stay healthy, and then and then. Um, at the other linebacker positions, of course, we talked about this earlier, but Jamarcus Rhodes is now getting this opportunity to play Spur. Marcus Ball is there as a guy who can play Spur or Bandit, and he's he has played both at times in camp. Um, and then you have Tyler Wiley, who's a depth option. Inside linebacker, they're quite thin. Uh, they've moved Dion Gignard from Spur to, to inside linebacker. He's gained a lot of size. Of course, the starters should be DJ Calhoun and Christian Sam. They missed Christian Sam last year so much. When he had that ankle injury in the first game, right, that that took him out for the mm-hmm. rest of the season, um, it, the the your thoughts on the talent of this linebacker group and their overall capability, maybe what needs to happen for those guys to put their best foot forward, Kevin?
2: Christian Sam is obviously the the most talented guy in the group. Um, they missed him, as you said, he was a huge loss for them last year. Um, you know, he's got to be a very good player this year for this defense to be, have any chance of being successful. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, Calhoun's got a role. He's a good run player. I'm not very big on him being on the field in passing situations. And that the depth behind those guys is not great. Um, Thomas is someone that I like, I think has a future, but hasn't really shown too much to me this week. Todd Graham did bring him up though. as someone that he likes a lot though. So, you know, mm-hmm. it, there's, he's, but the only guy you really can see getting on the field besides the top two
0: right so i didn't mention that it's a good point Kalen thomas a guy that was also highly regarded coming out of high school he's been in a green jersey a lot he had a a torn knee meniscus uh just coming out of that jersey and starting to be physical i think they they want him to progress from a mental maturity standpoint similar to zach robertson a guy that has been you know hit or miss and, and and dropped down to the threes at the outset of spring or or fall camp and then moved back into the ones um what do you think, Kalen? It, it, like, uh, how how capable does this unit overall project to being in this season? Well,
1: I mean, just the starting unit itself, just between Calhoun and Sam, I think S- Calhoun specifically missed Sam's presence. When you talk about one being, I, I think Calhoun's more of a thumper. He's more of a good run stopper. Ask him to play in space and you know make pursuit tackles. That's not his forte at all. Having Sam drop back in coverage, I think that having the balance there between two of your main communicators on defense that, you know, obviously not in the back end, but um, just having them back, um, they're going to be the most productive players on in, within the defense. Yeah. And I think that just like like Kevin mentioned, having Christian Sam's present back is really huge. And then when we talk about Gouinard, talk about Kalen Thomas being depth options. I think that the the group is going to be capable of being one of the top units, I think, at its peak yeah. in the Pac-12.
0: If, if Krung Crump doesn't end up your top sack number guy and top TFL guy. If Christian Sam and uh, DJ Calhoun aren't in your top three in total tackles, something has gone wrong, right? And there's a few other guys that have a chance that uh, Marcus Ball or Jamarcus Rhodes, one of those guys probably puts up a lot of stats, I would say, right? Um, But if you – have your safeties ending up with too many tackles mm-hmm. that, that's going to be a really bad yeah. sign or your yeah. corners with yeah. too many tackles that's that's going to be a bad sign something Jeez. to sort of look look for right yeah. now even though asu missed it, uh, a bowl last season the special teams play dramatically was improved and maybe even if you don't have a couple of the, those guys like a Zane yeah. gonzalez uh out there and and and, you, and, and sean Slocum isn't coaching this group up i mean you may they may have lost another game or two last season just yeah. given the fact that uh you can count on points you can count on touchbacks uh their coverage units uh have, have steadily improved uh, there's going to be some big changes this year from a personnel standpoint of course because you have brandon ruiz as a freshman who's probably going to have to replace zane gonzalez that's a tough chore he was the number one recruit in the country at that position uh, was committed to alabama made a switch you have michael sleep dalton now who's taking over the punting duties from matt Hawk who improved from a frankly, subpar player as a punter to becoming one of the better punters mm-hmm. in the Pac-12. Um, uh, is there going to be uh, a stability in this group and enough uh, production to sort of not have it be a big drop-down from last year, Kevin? What
2: do you think on that? I think the punting will be close. It might. It could be better. Sleep Dalton's got a lot of potential. He's. We haven't seen a lot of him... Big correctly. leg, but kind of
0: inconsistent, yeah, it seems like.
2: but you see the leg. Yes. And then we saw a little, you know, fans might not like it as much, but some of the rugby style, he's he's well-versed in that. Yeah, they can From do different background. things with Yeah, I, I think they'll be okay there. Ruiz um, it has been pretty inconsistent.
0: Yeah, at Camp Town Zone, and let's uh-huh. keep in mind that yeah. field is terrible. Yeah, right? yeah. In Tempe, he apparently had a 58-yarder, and okay. it was not missing. OK, so maybe that's related. To that's the, fair. You know. Yeah.
2: and But, you know, it's he's going to be a true freshman. He's replacing all American type NFL Probably kicker. the best kicker of all time in college yeah. football. Yeah. Statistically, out there. And... Yeah. So, I mean, it's almost impossible for me to say there won't be a drop off there. Mm-hmm. I don't know if the touchbacks will be there. Yeah. I mean, I'm pretty he was great in high school that, at it, but he's a small kid. And, and he's, uh, he's moving back five yards. Yes, of course. And so, you know, and, and the other thing is, uh, Gonzalez wasn't a touchback guy. He didn't even kick off his first year. So, no, because so, they were they right. didn't think he could do it. So th- that's something he's going to grow into. So, you know, will there be a drop off at the kicking this year? Yeah, more than likely. But, you know, long term, I think they're okay. I mean, they, he, he, by all means, he should be a top kicker down the road. But yeah. this year, we'll see. I'm not completely sold on him this year being as good as Sleep Doll will be, I think. Yeah,
0: Kalen, final thoughts on special teams before we get out of here.
2: Well, uh, last year you saw a lot of Caron
1: Crump. I know that we're, we're talking about the kickers and specifically, but the starters that they used along the special teams and the coverage units, I think that's going to be the key point this year, especially since you're not going to have so many touchbacks with Zing and Dolls back there. Um, I, I think who they use in the personal groupings, I think that's something to really watch moving forward.
2: Core special teamers, that's an issue, yeah. And we saw a lot of walk ons yes. in the units and when they yeah. were doing a little bit in practice. So, you know, that's going to be interesting to see how they go. Cause are they going to use the starters? Exactly. Probably, probably over time they might have to.
0: Especially because they're they're thinner on defense from a number standpoint. They don't have as many scholarship players. They do have some guys that can be star players, and not just a crunk crump, but Daz, Tautilatasi and others on special teams. And and so we're going to have to pay really close attention to that. But I think we're out of time. That'll do it for this. First edition of the Sun Devil Source Report podcast from Camp Tawnizona. We're going to be with you regularly every week from now on as we go through the season and, and break it in all this stuff. And And please uh, look for our premium podcast uh, to follow on sundevilsource.com. Um, if you want to be a member, uh, you're going to get a lot more in-depth analysis, a lot of our premium content, all that stuff is just really ramping up right now. And uh, something that we're really fired up about doing, Kalen. I see you want to jump in here at the end.
1: I just want to say shouts out to CJ and Steve that we met the other night. They wanted us to shout them out.
0: That's so. such a great point. <laughs> uh, yeah, maybe, maybe even before we go, uh, we could talk about some of our favorite uh, experiences up here at Camp Tanazona. There's Ooh. there's certain things that there's certain things that we've done um, that have been sort of almost become our religious um, habits from a restaurant standpoint or whatever. <laughs> we, we went to the Double D. This is yeah. this is. This is this bar that is um, basically in the middle of nowhere. It's, um, there's, a, there's a road called Control Road, and it's Tonto Village. It's located um, a couple miles to the west of Coles Ranch. You make that turn off of that Control Road, Tonto Village, and then you go about a mile, and you get to um, this little small community. Ah, uh, formerly a cult, true story,
2: it, <laughs>
0: and um, and there's just a bar that is um, straight out of 1972. I, I would say, uh, but it's it's a fun time. They have a million hats uh, on the ceiling. Uh, the people who run it are are, are great people. There's pool and their shuffleboard um oh i won't goodness. i won't brag too much about oh how that God. went <laughs> from a staffing standpoint um but let's just say i, I did dominate and um and then wh- kevin what are your what are your favorite places uh, in town in payson that we, that we tend to go to uh
2: gerardo's yeah the italian place uh, i think that's the best place in town that chicken parmigiana
0: uh, you had last night yeah
2: was... that was pretty uh Kalen's lasagna was... Oh, Top notch. I'm he ate it, all that. The lasagna was almost <laughs>
0: as big as Kalen. Yes. Uh, <laughs> and he ate all that it wasn't whole thing.
1: That big. I told you, I could eat a whole Stouffer straight if I
0: wanted to. Well, man, you, you <laughs> maybe need to do that a little more often. <laughs> and, and and I had the big ziti with sausage, which was also terrific. That's probably my favorite restaurant in town. What else?
2: Yeah. Um, uh, I think we turned a few people on to it this week, but uh, Cardo's for the pizza. Cardo's. It's by far the best pizza place up here.
0: Yeah, Um, people go to the other place across the street, and we we keep telling everybody, you don't want to go to the place across the street. You want to go to Cardo's. And and, and okay, maybe it's a little bit greasy or whatever, but it's a better pie, (laughs) right? Um, Caitlin, what about you? Anything else stand out about what we've done up here from a food and beverage standpoint?
1: Uh, I actually enjoyed Pours. Is that what it's called? The yeah, poorhouse. house. The poor house. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the good spot, that's in Star yeah, Valley. Yeah, yeah. I like it, it was really, like the burger was really greasy, but it tasted really good.
0: Yeah, well you're young, it's okay. Yeah. And, and, <laughs> and, and, and here's the thing, uh, Star Valley, maybe mm-hmm. the best thing that's happened in this whole experience is they pulled the, the speed cameras. <laughs> Uh, as the, the little traps, as you come in and out of Star Valley, they got rid of them. They replaced them with a little sign to remind you of you're maybe going a little bit too fast. But that sign doesn't take your picture and send you a ticket. Yeah. So I, I'm not feeling too bad about that sign, right? And and we have not gone to the Calibre ever, uh, otherwise known as Pete's Place. Um, there's been a lot of jokes about that. Um, I personally like the La Sierra as the the top Mexican food place in town. There's another one that a lot of people go to. I won't name it, but let me just tell you, it's not as good as last year, and the people treat you really nicely there, and, and it's a good time. And Friday night, uh, part of our tradition is we go to the Diamond Point Shadows, which is sort of halfway in between um, uh, Camp Tonazona and Payson. It's where the elk like to cross uh, the roadway there, or moose, or moose. Uh, and and we have seen uh, some some incidents of uh, of moose deer getting getting hit. So you got to be careful when, you, when you're up there doing it. But that's, that's a good place for steak. And they have a fish fry on Friday. We love doing that. And um, so those are kind of our favorite places. And, and if you spend any time up here um, in the rest of the summer or, or, or maybe in the year between now and the next Camp Taenzone, you'll enjoy taking in some of those places as well. But um, we'll wind it up now. Kalen Jones, Kevin Stewart, and Chris Cartman. Uh, really happy to be with you on the Sun Devil Source Report podcast.